You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. She was believed in Christ and came to faith in Christ. Another man that this happened to is Josh McDowell. Uh, he set out also to disprove the resurrection, and he had he has written a number of books, and probably most of you are familiar with him. But uh, his book, The Resurrection Factor, is also a very helpful book to, uh, in regards to what we will be discussing today, which is the resurrection. Let's open in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for the resurrection. I thank you for uh, the gift of life that you've given to us because of the death, burial, and then the resurrection of Christ. I pray, Father, that as we have gathered together, that we would uh, really focus upon all that Christ has done on our behalf. And we give you thanks and praise for all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things that uh, has come up recently is, or I should say, my son-in-law sent me a note a while back. It was kind of a joke, but it just talked about how uh, pray for the pastors because they are working hard to make sure that their videos don't look like Bin Laden uh, captives. And uh, so uh, I tried to do my part by dressing very lightly, but I want to call your attention to the beautiful flowers and all the things that have been put up um, and to make this day a day of remembrance and a joyous day of celebration. I'm going to start by reading a passage that really fits better for yesterday, uh, for Good Friday, I should say. Since it was the day of preparation, the Jews did not want the bodies to remain on the crosses on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a special day. They requested that Pilate have the man's legs broken and that their bodies be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other one who had been crucified with him. When they came to Jesus, they did not break his legs since they saw that he was already dead. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once blood and water came out. He who saw this has testified so that you may believe his testimony is true and he knows that he is telling the truth. For these things happen so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones would be broken. Also, another scripture says they will look at the one they have pierced. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because of the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take the bo Jesus' body. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took the body away. Nicodemus, who had previously come to him at night, also came, bringing a mixture of about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. Then they took Jesus' body and wrapped it in linen cloths 
with the aromatic spices according to the burial custom of the Jews. There was a garden in this place where he was crucified. A new tomb was in the garden. No one had been placed in that tomb. They placed Jesus there because the Jews, the Jewish preparation and since the tomb was nearby. You may uh, remember way, way back when we used to gather together as a community of believers. And we would come down the stairs and often Luke would, would uh, greet us, hand us a bulletin. And we would turn and, and uh, we would greet other people and we would shake hands and we would hug each other and we would laugh and we would talk and we would share breakfast together and coffee. Way, way back last month, uh, how much has changed since then. But one of the last times, and it wasn't the last time we did that, but one of the last times we did that, Justin Gwynn spoke of two of the three gardens of Scripture. <clears throat> it wasn't his main point, but I did. Uh, it started my thinking about this third garden. You see, the first garden was in Genesis. And in Genesis, God talks to Adam, or calls out to Adam, and asks him, where are you? In the second garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus asked Judas, what are you doing here? Adam may have rightly answered the question by saying this. Sorry. Uh, Adam may have well answered the question by saying this. I have moved away from you. <clears throat> I have moved away from you. I have passed from life to death from fellowship to isolation, from innocence to guilt. And I know, all I know is that I am running from you and I have turned my back upon you because I am afraid. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas may have answered Jesus this way, I have, stop, I have stopped following you, Jesus. I'm going to stop you or at least focus on, <clears throat> at least force your hand. I am chosen to join the other side. I have made a pact with the enemy. I am turning you in. I am no longer believing that you are my savior. There is a third garden in scripture, the one that we just read about. And in that garden was a tomb. Mary and other women came to the tomb that first Easter morning. And they wanted to finish preparing the body for burial. When they arrived, they realized that the body was gone. And you know the story, as time went on, many of the women ran back to the disciples. But Mary Magdalene stayed in the garden. She was weeping. And Jesus asked Mary, who are you looking for? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, Sir, if you have removed him, tell me where you have put him, and I will take 
him back and put him, I will take him back away. The question Jesus asked Mary was an interesting question. Mary responds with a straightforward answer, yet there is so much more behind the question of where she felt Jesus was. You see, no matter what she had been told by the angels, no matter what she had remembered of Jesus' statement, Mary was looking for a dead Jesus. She was looking for the body to recover. She was not looking for a live Jesus. She intended to rebury Jesus because she did not believe Jesus had risen from the dead. Her response was normal and expected. I think all of us would have had the same response. If I, when, uh, if I went to the grave of my father and found that the grave was open and empty, I probably would not have thought immediately that he had risen from the dead. Instead, I would be looking around trying to find his coffin to rebury him. As much as I love my father, I would not have expected that he had risen from the dead. And this, too, is how Mary approached the tomb. Mary approached the empty tomb in a way that I would have approached my father's empty grave with only the desire to make things right again, to set all things in proper uh, order. So Jesus asked Mary a question, a question that I think we all need to answer even within ourselves. Who are we looking for this Easter morning? Not long ago, we, we celebrated Christmas. And it's always been amazing to me how many people celebrate Christmas, but they do not believe in Jesus. They celebrate the birth of Christ, but they don't really know who this child is. A few years ago, Carol and I were visiting Okinawa, and uh, we were there at the end of October, beginning of November, and on November 1st, everything changed in Okinawa. Uh, if you had gone to the store the day before, it would have been normal on November 1st, suddenly everything had become Christmas. Uh, the, the displays in the windows, the songs that were being sung and played over the intercom. The mall had changed into a winter wonderland in Okinawa. Overnight, they were playing hymns, really. Uh, God rest ye merry gentlemen, and come all ye faithful were being played over the intercom. Why would a culture, why would a why would a country that is not Christian, nor even the have a history of Christianity, why would they celebrate the birth of Christ? It's that kind of things that we think about and we wonder about. How is it that people can so often celebrate the birth of Christ, but then reject the resurrection of Christ? One of the things that uh, we often found happening <clears throat> when we were working in Germany the first years of our ministry is we would go to chapel and 
the chaplain would uh, often on Christmas and on Easter chide those who came because, you know, around the world, the two heaviest days, the two greatest days of attendance are, Christ- are Christmas and Easter. And he would chide the, those who came, and at the end of his message, he would say something like, well, okay, for all you C&E Christians, we'll see you on Easter, or we'll see you next Christmas. But how many of us actually end up doing the same thing? That we say we believe, and we're looking for Jesus on Easter, but we really don't look for him the rest of the year. Who was Mary looking for on Easter? Who are we looking for today? Are we looking for the one who has risen from the dead? Or are we looking for our Lord? Are we looking for someone else? The answer to this question, like the answer that Jesus questioned to, excuse me, the answer to this question, like the answer to Jesus' question, will depend upon what we believe happened that first Easter morning the day we know as Resurrection Sunday. It is often said that Christmas, at Christmas time, Jesus is the reason for the season. I understand the sentiment of that, but in reality, Good Friday is the reason for the season of Christmas. For Christmas would have been meaningless without Good Friday. But even more so, Good Friday would have been meaningless without the resurrection of Christ. So I asked the question today, and we'll be looking at it further, do you believe in the resurrection? The resurrection of Christ, that first Easter morning, is so important and so central to our belief as Christians that John Locke, British empiricist once said, the resurrection is truly of great importance to Christianity, so much so that his being or not being the Messiah stands or falls with it. So that those who, in, <clears throat> excuse me, so that those two important articles are inseparable and in effect make one. For since that time, believe one and you believe both. Deny one and you believe neither. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then everything we do here, everything we believe, everything we trust in, means nothing. Even Paul, St. Paul wrote this, and he tells us, he reminds us that we are of all men most to be pitied. Therefore, the question I raise today, do you believe in the resurrection, is an important question, and it's one that we all need to really think about. Now, if we are honest, we realize that the resurrection is just simply not something that's easy to believe in. The resurrection is not easy to believe. Let's be honest, dead men just simply don't rise. Death is the end of life. The one of life's certainties is uh, death. 
you know, the, story, the statement, nothing is sure except death and taxes. Well, we experience taxes every year, but we don't experience resurrection. We don't experience death but once in our life. If you have one who has, if you are one who has, if you have one who has, excuse me, if you have reservations about the resurrection and you are uncertain about the truth of the resurrection, well, frankly, you are in good company. Thomas Jefferson has said as he left the presidency, at that point in his life was more of a naturalist. He didn't believe in the supernatural, and so what he did was he took his Bible, and he liked the stories of Jesus' morality, his ethics, the things that he would share. But what he did was he basically took the Bible with scissors in hand and, and cut out everything that was miraculous. And so when it came to the resurrection, the end of his book was came to the point where it said, there they laid Jesus and rolled a great stone before the door and, the sepul and left the sepulcher. They departed. Leaders of Israel did not believe in the resurrection either. In fact, Paul was on trial in Israel because he believed in the resurrection. In the new, Ro the new Roman governor, Festus, in 58 AD, had heard Paul's case brought before him in Caesarea by the chief priests and the leading men of Israel. Later, he was he summarized what was said to him in the, in the judgment as he sent Paul information, Paul and information to the Jewish king Agrippa by stating, when the accused stood up, they began bringing charges against him, not of such crimes as I have, was expecting, but they simply had some points of disagreement with him about their own religion and about the dead man, Jesus, whom Paul asserted was alive. However, these men so hated the teachings of the resurrection that they wanted Paul to be put to death. Going back even further into history, we find that the disciples themselves didn't believe in the resurrection. In Luke chapter 24, it says this, And they, the, the women, remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene and uh, Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, also, the other women who were with them were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. Now, the disciples were most often, or now the disciples we most often think about concerning this disbelief is the disciple known as Thomas. We often call him Doubting Thomas, and you can understand why. The rest of the disciples had, by the point that this comes up, had seen Jesus. 
and they wanted to tell Thomas, who wasn't there when Jesus appeared, that uh, he was alive. And they kept telling him and telling him, and he finally turned to them and he said, unless I see his hands and input my and the input of the nails in the in his hands and i put my finger into the place of the nails and i put my hand into his side i will not believe he's defiant with his demand of proof is defiant because the words that are translated i will not believe is actually a double negative which works in greek he said, I will never, no, never believe it unless I am able to touch him and put my finger into the holes in his hand. With, the, with such a faith as this, I'm kind of surprised that Christianity continued at all. One thing that is certain, that the resurrection story is just simply not easy to believe. The resurrection story is not easy, though, to deny. Frank Morrison, man that I mentioned at the beginning of this message, uh, set out to disprove Christianity, and he set out to disprove the resurrection, which he thought was going to be extremely simple to do. Like Thomas Jefferson, he had no room in his scientific mind to acknowledge the existence of miracles. Morrison uh, intended to show the real Jesus, the demythologized Jesus, the one who died and was still dead. But when he confronted the facts and he began to look at the things that were true, he began to realize that, East, that the realities of Easter were not easily denied. One of the things that he, that he kept struggling with had become the name of his later book, Who Moved the Stone? How could, this, how could history present the, the empty tomb and the stone being so massive? Who moved that stone to allow Jesus uh, to come out if it hadn't happened the way the scriptures had said? Throughout history, we ex have accepted, and it is generally accepted all over, that the tomb is empty. That part we agree. But it's the interpretation of that fact that wrestles, causes us to wrestle. What does it mean that the temple, or that the tomb is empty? Since the body of Jesus is no longer in the tomb, if we choose to believe there is no resurrection, where is the body? What happened to it? We still have to deal with the fact of the empty tomb and explain what happened to the body. Who moved the stone? As Morrison <clears throat> wrestled with the question, he found the, that the resurrection is not easily denied. He came to believe in the resurrection, trusting in the death of Jesus to be the payment for his sins and to realize that the resurrection was now his hope of eternal life. You see, the resurrection story is not easily believed, but it is also difficult to deny. 
the resurrection is also not easy to accept. All of us, to some degree, are doubting Thomases. I don't know about you, but I am so glad that John included the story of doubting Thomas in his gospel. You see, we are all people who, to some degree or another, are, are doubters and wonder if it can be true. Remember the initial reaction that the disciples had of disbelief. Thomas was defiantly refused to believe in the resurrection, defiantly determined that it could not be true. This seems to be very reasonable to me as well. The stories of the resurrection seem like nonsense to the disciples, even as they heard it the first time from the women. Had they gone mad? But notice what happened when Thomas finally received the proof that he needed. In John chapter 20, it says this, <clears throat> After eight days, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them, even though the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and observe my hands. Reach out and put your hand into my side. Do not be an unbeliever, but believe. Thomas responded to him, My Lord and my God. He was the first of the disciples to actually fall down and worship Christ as God. Jesus said, Because you have seen me, you now believe. Those who believe without seeing me are blessed. Do you realize that that's us? We haven't seen Christ, but we have come to the point of belief. You see, in the day like today, death seems so certain, the resurrection may be hard to accept. The idea that the resurrection is simply not easy to believe, yet it is also not easy to deny. However, we must admit the idea of the resurrection is not easily accepted. Nevertheless, the resurrection is easy to experience. The disciples came to faith in Christ. <clears throat> Thomas came to faith in Christ. Paul came to faith in Christ. Frank Morrison, Josh McDowell, Lee Strobel, they all came to faith in Christ. They all of these have come to the point of belief. They found that it was the Easter story was difficult to believe and difficult to deny and difficult to accept, but they found it easy to experience. Even the author of the hymn Amazing Grace, John Newton, at the first at first he hated Christ and all Christianity. He bought and sold men into slavery and soon became bitter in his sin. Until one day, he came to understand that his sins could be forgiven in only, if he only believed in the resurrection. He found this amazing grace, that grace that had saved a wretch like me.
to you, do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe in Jesus? Paul laid out the facts for us in 1 Corinthians. For I deliver to you as of first importance that which I have received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now. But some have fallen asleep. These are the facts. You must decide now for yourself whether you believe the facts or you believe something else. You must choose. Do you believe that Jesus died and rose again for you. Remember what St. Paul wrote when he said, <clears throat> He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. What Jesus did and the fact of the and the fact that he rose from the dead is answered and is the answer. That of Jesus' warning to us all, you must be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. If we want to have eternal life, if we want to experience the resurrection, then we must put our faith in the one who has died for our sin, who sacrificed himself on Good Friday. But also the Lord who was risen from the dead, we need to trust and believe in him. Sure, the, the resurrection is not easy to believe, and it's, it's but it's difficult to deny. It may not be easy to accept, but it is easy to experience. It's putting our faith in Christ. And if we do that, if we trust in Christ, then we will experience life with a capital L. A life that will go on for eternity. A life that will experience, in reality, the resurrection of each of us to stand before and with Christ forever. Justin Gwynn talked of the two of the three gardens but he also talked about the fact that, as he set out this series, that God desires to be with us, and he is committed to having a relationship with us. And we do see that throughout scriptures. Ted Decker, in his, in his series of novels, talks about the fact that this is the great romance. God desires to have a relationship with us that is eternal. But because of our sin, we cannot experience it. And so Jesus died for our sin. He took the penalty for our sin. He made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to become sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. Have you put your faith in Christ? Do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe that Jesus died for you? When you've done that, when you've trusted in Christ, you suddenly realize more fully that you have a relationship now that will not end. 
a relationship that God loves you and desires to be with you and has done everything possible for that relationship, including coming to receive you to himself. And so on this Easter morning, we want to encourage all of you to ask yourselves the question, do you believe in the resurrection? Have you come from a point of disbelief to a point of acceptance, but not true belief? Do you see Jesus as the dead Christ? Or do you see him as a living Savior? Your husband, as Ephesians talks about, the relationship that we share together with him. It's not going to be just for now, even in these difficult times. It will be for all eternity, because he has loved you so very much. Let's close the word prayer. Father, I thank you for the gift of life that you've given. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for all that Christ has done on our behalf. Thank you, too, that because of your Spirit, we can have a close relationship with you, not only in eternity, but right now, we can experience the reality of the resurrection. Thank you for it, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.